Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in its 29th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. Tesla is facing two new lawsuits, and they concern issues we've just talked about here on America on the Road. We'll give you all the details in a few minutes, so of course our comments as well. Toyota is bringing back a legendary vehicle after a hiatus. And I'm sure uh, Chris Teague is excited about that. We'll give you an in-depth look at that coming up. It looks like Toyota is posed to go head-to-head with another legendary brand. And I'm wondering about Chris's reaction to that. (laughs) America on the Road is brought to you by drivingtoday.com, yourtestdriver.com, emlancy.com, the publisher of my latest book, Dance in the Dark, and Mercury Insurance. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of a lot of money, $670 with Mercury. So imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at drivingtoday.com slash auto insurance. That's drivingtoday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. I'm Jack Red. With me is co-host Chris Teague. He's editor of yourtestdriver.com. Chris, are you starting to see any signs of fall where you live, or are you still in midsummer mode where you are? Oh, don't jinx me, Jack. Don't <laughs> jinx me. It's coming much sooner than I want it to. Uh, but no, it's still quite warm here. We're doing nice and green. Everything's nice and green, so I'll take it. Good. I like that. I like that. I think I told you, we, we occasionally get uh, leaves falling from our trees at this time of year, and I'm not quite certain why that is, but it's uh, a little bizarre, but... Uh, there you go. This is not a weather show. We're not meteorologists or uh, proctologists, for that matter. We're a lot of different things, but we uh, talk about cars. As you longtime listeners know, Chris lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. And each week we get together to talk about cars, the car industry, and how you can save some money on your car purchase and just owning your car. Of course, we review a couple of cars each week as well. And we've got some pretty, pretty cool stuff to talk about this week. Porsche has a new car. They pulled the wraps off a new variation of the 911. We'll tell you about that. Uh, That's pretty cool. Audi has introduced a new pair of performance electric vehicles. So we'll give you details on that. What a great guest we have for you, too. John Craman is one of the hosts of the Mecham Auction coverage on Motor Trend TV. I'm sure you've seen him on TV and see those cars going down, going across the blocks there and being sold. And he's the commentator on that. So knowledgeable about the collector car scene, and we will talk to him as we run up to the Monterey Car Week. That includes, of course, the uh, legendary Pebble Beach Concours. And, of course, we review cars, uh, not classic cars so much, but uh, cars that you can buy. And Chris, what uh, is the road test vehicle for this week? I spent the week hauling my family and our large dog in the 2023 Hyundai Santa Fe Plug-In Hybrid Limited. Well, I want to hear what you have to say about that because, you know, my my first blush is that's a pretty cool car, pretty good family vehicle. So we'll see whether the Teague family agrees with that. 
My road test car is not a great family car, frankly. <laughs> it's a pretty cool car, but not a great family car. It is the 2024 Ford Mustang EcoBoost. Of course, I reviewed the Mustang GT, the V8-powered Mustang GT, a couple of weeks ago. And now uh, I'm going to take a stab at uh, reviewing the turbocharged four-cylinder model that I also drove. So we'll tell you all about that coming up. Uh, I think you'll enjoy that and enjoy what I have to say about it. Well, let's dive into this stuff about Tesla class action suits. And you could almost say we predicted this on, on America on the Road, right, uh, Chris? I mean, one of these class action suits, uh, some owners in California are suing the automaker because it is not meeting its estimated driving ranges. That's a pretty big thing and something I think we talked about last week. Yeah, I think we, uh, I don't know if we covered it last week or not, but they're being accused of rigging the software on the cars to inflate the range numbers to a certain degree so owners feel a little bit more confident than they probably should have. So uh, there are a lot of uh, facets to this story. It's really interesting to, to dig into it. Yeah, I mean, uh, some of this comes from a Reuters report, and Reuters has talked about the fact that Tesla, uh, this is what they reported about Tesla, they had decided to write algorithms for its range meter that show drivers what they call quote unquote rosy predictions for the distance the car could travel. And then oftentimes it wouldn't go that far. <laughs> that would be a, a big problem, I would think. And this goes all the way up to the top. Apparently, uh, this was a directive from Elon Musk, at least that's what Reuters is reporting. Uh, I have no knowledge of that, and I'm, I'm sure you don't either, Chris, but pretty amazing stuff, I think. It is, you know, we talked about this too with other automakers. It's not Tesla's range doesn't is not unique in that it, you know, goes away or it was reduced in cold or hot weather. But I think this uh, sort of manipulation, or uh, I don't want to call it a cover up because I don't know the facts of this, and obviously this is alleged from my perspective. But um, it is very uh, interesting to see how different the the two. Uh, the companies deal with their their range and how it's you know talked about. Yeah, here's this is directly from the lawsuit. Uh, uh, so I'm quoting here from this uh, Reuters story. Had Tesla honestly advertised its electric vehicle ranges, consumers either would not have purchased Tesla model vehicles, or else would have paid substantially less for them. So they're trying to prove damages that uh, you know they paid more than they should have for these vehicles and. Uh, it's about all the various Tesla models, and they're looking for others to join the suit. Uh, so California listeners, if you're Tesla drivers and have uh, experienced something like this and, and care to join the suit, I'm, uh, there's some lawyers you can get in touch with. I'm not <laughs> soliciting for them, certainly, uh, but uh, that's out there. Also, uh, there's a class action suit about privacy issues that we also talked about. I think we certainly talked about that on, on last week's show. And uh, so they're asserting that Tesla has violated privacy laws and looking for damages there. So you heard it first on America on the Road, right? Right, Chris? I have a very busy legal department at Tesla this time of year. Yeah, I'll tell you. Well, this has got to be wonderful news for you. You know, switching off what is kind of odd news or not, not necessarily good news to, I think, great news, the introduction of the Toyota 2024 Land Cruiser. You've got to be super excited about this. It's a nameplate re returning to the American market after three years of, of vanishing um, and kind of all new. 
My take is they're taking on Jeep and, and maybe Bronco kind of head to head. What's your take on all this? I appreciate that they're bringing it back at a lower price point. Uh, you know, I think that that, is, that was the killer of it last time. It was very, very expensive. Uh, I kind of wish that we had gotten sort of like one of the beefier, older Land Cruiser models that they still sell elsewhere. Um, but, you know, I'm going to re- reserve my judgment. I, I'm not super impressed by the way it looks uh, on paper, at least. So uh, we'll see. I want it to be very good, and, I, and I'm sure that it will be. I just have to get behind the wheel. Yeah, well, good things to report on, I think, in terms of horsepower, turbocharged 2.4-liter four-cylinder hybrid powertrain, 326 horsepower, 365 pound-feet of torque. That's pretty beefy torque number. Uh, that speaks to good things for off-road. Um, it's certainly going to be equipped with a lot of electronic equipment as well, as you can imagine. And the new Toyota audio system that they're so justifiably proud of, uh, I think... It, it, my sense is um, they're seeing what's going on with Bronco and, uh, and Jeep and Jeep success, and uh, they want to get back into that. They absolutely want to be part of that. Think so? And that's understandable. You know, if you look at the Bronco, and I compared this in an article the other day, you know, Ford brought the Bronco back and made a meaningful change to, uh, to make it special, right? And so the Land Cruiser, it's back. I don't know if it feels that special to me as I mean, it was only gone for three years as opposed to, you know, decades like the Bronco. Right. But uh, I don't know. I I think I'm going to withhold my judgment until I drive it. Okay. Hmm. I thought (laughs) you'd be more enthusiastic, but that shows that uh, I don't know everything. In fact, quite far from it. Uh, But that's uh, that's the way it is. Uh, I'm excited about this uh, 60th anniversary Porsche 911. This limited run of uh, 1,963 cars. Hmm, I wonder where they came up with that number. Um, it is uh, a lightweighted version of the 992 generation. Uh, 518 horsepower and uh, she's a crazy amount of revving that this uh, four-liter engine will do. Uh, what's your take on that? Uh, there are a million 911 variants, and I think they're all pretty cool. And everybody buys every single one that they can make. Uh, lightweight Porsche 911s are uh, my favorite types, you know, the lightweight versions that they made. So um, I probably will never get to drive one, and I certainly won't own one, but I, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it very cool. I've had a chance to drive a few of these lightweighted versions over time, and I think that's what Porsche is all about, really. I mean, it kind of harkens back to what they were at the beginning, right? Kind of minimalist and uh, getting uh, the most out of the least uh, in terms of horsepower. I think uh, that's what lightweighting does. It's not that much (laughs) lighter weight than uh, some of the other variants. I think they save 70 pounds or something like that, but uh, it can make a difference. So uh, I'm excited to uh, see this vehicle. Yes, addition by subtraction from Porsche. (laughs) <laughs> right. Well, I'm also excited to see these new Audis, you know, the Audi SQ8 e-tron and the e-tron Sportback. Um, here we have uh, almost 500 horsepower out of these performance electrics. What's your quick take on them? Yeah, I like Audi's electric vehicles. They're very sharp. I think they make a big trade-off between range and power, but uh, we'll see how they, they drive. They certainly look great. Yeah, well, I can't wait to see them, can't wait to drive them. And uh, the Performance Electrics is uh, something that's coming on. So we'll we'll talk about that in a future show. But um, in this show, we have road tests coming up and pretty cool ones. The Hyundai Santa Fe plug-in hybrid uh, driven by Chris Teague. And I was uh, driving the Mustang EcoBoost for 2024, all new. So uh, stay with us for that. 
And we'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris T. Jack Rad back with you for Road Test Time. And we have a varied road test crew here. We have a uh, essentially a family vehicle, a Hyundai Santa Fe plug-in hybrid driven by Chris Teague. Uh, I was driving a, a sportier model, the EcoBoost version of the 2024 Ford Mustang. Uh, but uh, tell us, Chris, all about the Santa Fe. Yeah, Jack, this is the, I think, second or third variant of the Santa Fe of this generation that I've driven. And I got to tell you that I am impressed with all of them. I think that uh, just to kind of spoil the review, Hyundai does a great job at <laughs> making things feel special and upscale for a decent price tag, although this one does get kind of expensive. But anyway, this is the 23 uh, Santa Fe Plug-In Hybrid Limited. So this is the top of the line. Uh, they offer two trims. The entry-level trim is around $42,000. Uh, this one came in at $47,670 after options, taxes, are not taxes, excuse me, destination charge uh, and everything else. So uh, it's got a turbocharged 1.6 liter engine, it delivers 30 miles of electric range, 261 horsepower, 224 pound-feet of torque, all-wheel drive, and a six-speed automatic transmission. Jack, I have to say, and I want to get your opinion on this, Hyundai and Kia do this really well, um, including real <laughs> torque converter automatic transmissions as opposed to CVTs and their hybrids and plug-in hybrids. And I think it adds a good amount of engagement that you don't get from others. What do you think about that? I, I can't agree more. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine about this yesterday, and uh, he has a vehicle from another manufacturer with a CVT. He's had a ton of problems with it, um, just doesn't like the feel of it. Uh, they, they're trying to replace the transmission and can't get it done. Uh, it's just been a nightmare for him. So a real <laughs> geared transmission, uh, I'm on board. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so this, you know, 261 horsepower and 224 pounds of 224 pounds of torque. This is not a muscle car by any chance, by any means, but you do have the instant torque from the electric motor. So it does feel a little bit zippier around town, which is where this thing will probably spend most of its time for, from everyone that, that owns it. Um, I appreciate the 30 miles of electric range. It's not the most in its class, but it's a good amount, Jack. And for me, you know, if I were driving this every day, I think I commute like 10 miles taking the kids to school and coming back home. Uh, I would be able to charge this once every couple of days and I might not ever need gas unless I was going to go uh, on a road trip. But um, very comfortable ride, very quiet ride. I think that's one of the more impressive things about this vehicle is it just feels um, almost not, I'm going to say like a Lincoln, but it's very it's very quiet for, for, what the, for the, uh, mainstream brand that it is. Um, inside, you got five seats, two rows, uh, plenty of room for me at six feet tall i'm going to go we're going to go back to that now i love that so much that. i've missed your six feet tall thing chris <laughs> we uh took the neighbors to dinner a few uh days ago and my uh, my neighbor was riding behind me he's a little bit shorter than me but still very uh tall and we had plenty of room nobody was you know no knees in my back and nobody was jockeying for position so i think that you know from a family perspective if you have two kids and a dog, this would probably be uh, right up your alley if you don't absolutely want a minivan or three roads. Um, cloth upholstery comes standard. Synthetic leather is available. Mine came with leather upholstery, the top limited trim. It feels really nice, Jack. Um, and I want to get your opinion on Hyundai's interiors too, but 
Um, this the leather is very impressive. The seats are heated and ventilated in front, and you've got heated rear outboard seats, which are the ones on the outside. What do you think of uh, Hyundai's interior quality and the build that they've been coming up with? I tell you, I think in a vehicle like the Santa Fe, they're essentially near luxury, if not luxury, interiors. I think the the Highline, uh, great quality leather, good design. Um, good materials throughout. I, I just think they do a really good job. They seem to put some money into the interiors <laughs> in their uh, premium level vehicles, and uh, it shows, and uh, people it, gravitate to that. It does. Yeah, you can get into uh, you get into a vehicle. Obviously, it's almost fifty thousand dollars, but it feels more expensive than that. But um, so, in terms of tech, there's a twelve point three inch digital uh, gauge cluster, a ten and a quarter inch touchscreen. Uh, Apple CarPlay, Android Auto. I've said this a million times to you on the show. Hyundai's infotainment system is one of my favorites, not because it's the most elaborate, but because it's one of the least elaborate. Uh, it's very straightforward. The menus are extremely well labeled. Everything's clear. The navigation is snappy. Um, so no complaints there. You've got, uh, I think I said, Android Auto, Apple CarPlay, wireless device charging, navigation, the whole deal there. And Hyundai includes a ton of uh, safety equipment here. This is the top trim, so you get everything in the box. Blind spot monitoring, uh, rear cross-traffic alerts, forward collision alerts. So, Jack, it's a little bit pricey, but for the money, I think you get a lot here, and it definitely feels uh, special. And for a family, uh, I think you get all the space that you would need. So uh, I think it's a winner. I absolutely think it's a winner. I think it's one of the best values uh, of that kind of vehicle on the market today. And Available in a lot of variations that uh, can suit various price tags. I don't even mind the cloth interior uh, vehicles. No, it I feels good. They're quite good. So nothing wrong with that. The Hyundai Santa Fe, good, good buy. Well, I was driving a, an exciting vehicle, the 2024 Ford Mustang, this time in EcoBoost version. Uh, it's available in three variations, EcoBoost, GT, and the all-new Dark Horse. Dark Horse, kind of the successor, I think, to the Mach 1 you know, a little, little bit more performance, maybe a lot more performance than the GT. <laughs> I think the GT offers excellent performance. But what we're talking about right now is the EcoBoost, which is the least expensive of the vehicle. The base coupe has a manufacturer's suggested retail price of just $33,000, so well under the average transaction price of a vehicle. A GT, the lowest price GT, has a base price of about $44,000, so significantly less expensive than that. The test vehicle we had was an EcoBoost with the high performance package, which is a nice thing that they offer uh, on this type of vehicle with the MagnaRide damping system as well, uh, with a suggested MSRP of $43,000, almost $44,000. You might look at the EcoBoost as a base model, but I think that's missing the point in a way. This can be a performance model. It's got 315 horsepower. They upped horsepower about five horsepower from the the previous EcoBoost four-cylinder, uh, but then they give it a bunch of um, potential go-fast stuff that you can equip it with, and I think that makes a big difference. I and mean, what's your take on this? You think this is a performance vehicle or not, Chris? Oh, absolutely, Jack. I mean, you've got the power. There's plenty of power for most people, and you know, I think it's one of those things we talk about. It. You can actually use the power and focus on driving the car as opposed to keeping it on the road. Uh, if you got a GT and a little bit too heavy of a foot, you can end up sideways pretty quickly. So uh, I think this is a great, you know, entry-level performance car. I'm, I'll go ahead and say it is a performance car. Yeah, and a lot of torque, too. 350 pound-feet of peak torque at 3,500 RPM, so very accessible, uh, you know, very flexible engine. Only get, get it with the 10-speed automatic transmission. Some people might object to that. It used to be able to get a, 
a manual transmission, but uh, the 10 speed works quite well, and I think a lot of people prefer that. Uh, it has standard drive mode, so you can adjust steering effort, engine response, transmission, and electronic stability control settings through settings uh, in the drive modes. That's, that's kind of cool. And then uh, if you get the performance package, this is the kind of stuff you get. You get a front power brace, stiffens the chassis, a Torsen limited slip differential, great stuff, wider rear wheel, uh, uh, wheels and tires, larger rear Brembo brakes, and um, you can get, as I mentioned, the MagnaRide magnetically adjustable active suspension. So a lot of good stuff on this. And uh, then there's the fuel economy, which is so much better than the V8 powered car. So I'm liking this vehicle a lot. I think there's a lot to offer here. I mean, certainly in a lot of ways, I, you know, I'm an older guy. I like V8 engines. I probably prefer the GT, but I, I think anybody who opts for the EcoBoost is, is probably making a pretty good decision for themselves. I agree. I think the only thing you're missing there is the V8 sound, Jack. I mean, you like you said, you get the performance. You just don't have the the grunt behind it. And to be honest, I'm glad that Ford is still making the gas-powered Mustang. You know, we're not going to have a Camaro after this year. The Challenger and the Charger are going away, and who knows when they'll be back as an EV. But uh, So this leaves the Mustang, and I'm happy to see it. Yeah, what do you think about the styling? I think they've done a nice job making it look like a Mustang and at the same time looking pretty new. It does. You know, that's what struck me about it, especially the Dark Horse. Uh, you know, it looks just futuristic enough to be from 2024, 2023, uh, but it still is instantly recognizable as a Mustang. And they've done a good job with sort of the evolution of that. Uh, and I've always, you know, the most I like the most recent Mustangs anyway. Um, there's only a few recent models that I didn't really love, but I think the newest one looks great. Yeah, they've also gone full digital. I mean, they have a 12.4 inch digital instrument panel and then a 13.2 inch touchscreen, very video game inside. And I, I think that's probably is super appropriate for the EcoBoost. Yeah, and I've seen uh, some pictures, you know, the gauge cluster, you can configure it to look like an old Fox body Mustang with the, the colorful gauges and stuff. So they've done a good job, you know, kind of getting the Easter eggs in there to make it make it fun. Right. So overall, I think we have two winners here with the Hyundai Santa Fe plug-in hybrid, great family vehicle, great fuel economy, potential all-electric range that's good enough for a lot of folks. And then a uh, pretty economical but very sporty new Ford EcoBoost uh, for 2024. So a lot of good stuff here in this particular road test segment. I agree. Yeah. And when we come back, we're going to be having an interview with an expert on collector cars. John Craman from Meekum Auctions will be speaking with us. So we'll have a chance to chat with him about what's coming up at Monterey and what's going on in the collector car biz. Uh, very exciting. So... Stay with us for that, and we'll be right back right here on America on the Road. I got this letter from a reader the other day, and I thought I'd share it with you. I'm on vacation on the beach in Key Biscayne and just finished reading Dance in the Dark. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Great plot and twists I never saw coming. You're really good at creating visual images. Congrats. You made my vacation all that more enjoyable. This is just the kind of feedback an author loves to hear. I'm Jack Nerad, host of America on the Road and the author of Dance in the Dark, a crime novel inspired by true crime. 
Many have told me the Dance in the Dark has all the realism of fatal photographs, my true crime account of the famous bathing suit model murder case. That's great to hear because Dance in the Dark is filled with suspense, plot twists, and surprises. But at the same time, it's a believable story in the tradition of writers like James M. Cain, Jim Thompson, and Elroy Leonard. I'm not saying it did happen, but it could have. Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and Kindle ebook form from Amazon.com, and it's available direct from the publisher EMLancy.com as well. If you have a chance, please look for it. If it makes your vacation better, we'll both be happy. That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arnie Red at Amazon.com or EMLancy.com. Thanks for giving it a look. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack we have a terrific guest for you. John Craman is, you've seen him on TV, on Motor Trend TV, on the Meekum Auctions. He's an expert, uh, certainly on the collector car market, something that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, my first car was a 1926 Nash that I still own. Uh, so it's something I, I'd love to talk to him about. But uh, John, thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Man, always a pleasure. Really appreciate uh, coming on board and talking about our favorite subject, cars. Yeah, cars and all kinds of cars. I know you're a Corvette enthusiast. I am too. Uh, yeah. Certainly, that's something that Meekum Auctions has specialized in through the years and uh, continues to be a hot commodity. Are, are Corvettes as hot as they used to be, John? Uh, what's, the, what's the state of Corvette these days? Yeah, Jack, you know, hotter than ever. You have to, first of all, give a shout out. This is 70 years. We're celebrating 70 years of Corvette, going all the way back to 1953. Only 300 were built in that debut year. And here we are all these years later, still as America's sports car. And, you know, when the C8 Corvette, the mid-engine car, debuted in 2020 to much fanfare and to some folks that were skeptical, the lack of a manual transmission, the, you know, European exotic-esque styling was, uh, you know, somewhat controversial at the time. But they thought that, well, you know, it's not the Corvettes of the past. Well, here we are now in the fourth model year, well over 100,000 of the new C8 Corvettes have been built since 2020. And to say that it's an unqualified smash success obviously would be an understatement. But what I think is the most interesting of everything is how all generations, all previous eight generations of Corvettes continue to escalate in notoriety and in value. We're seeing more and more cars being brought out, being sold as part of collections. And what that's telling me, Jack, is, is the market for Corvettes and other collector cars as well is definitely transition, transitioning from the second half, the older half of the baby boomers, to a slightly younger baby boomer and even to the generation prior to that. And as a lifelong car guy and a Corvette lover like yourself, it's gratifying to see that the message of the magic of the Corvette has definitely caught hold. Yeah. And it's transcending generations. And I think that's important, too. I mean, right. I, sometimes I think, uh, you know, it's kind of an end of life car <laughs> for some people. <laughs> and, you know, that's not something that's not a reputation that any car model wants to have, be it a collector car or be it a, a new car in, in the marketplace. And I, it's nice right. to see that uh, other generations are are finding it equally appealing. Indeed. And I just want to do uh, a little bit of a shout out to the popularity of the Corvette once again. Uh, Meekum Auctions, world's largest collector car auction company. Corvettes are the number one most popular individual make and model of any others. Roughly, give or take a little bit, about 10% of our 30,000 plus vehicles annually that we do are Corvettes. Uh, number two is Mustang and number three is Camaro, by the way. So 
USA all the way on the top three. Yeah, well, and you're great in transitioning for me because I want to talk about both of those cars. There's going to be an all new Mustang. I'm going to drive it, I think, in a week, actually. Uh, And I'm I'm fascinated by that. At the same time, it looks like on the on the Chevrolet side, we might be seeing the last Camaro ever. I mean, talk about those two cars. Uh, Yeah. You know, the original pony car, not the first. Obviously, it was the Barracuda came out a couple of weeks before uh, the Mustang did. But uh, the the Mustang set the stage for the success of the pony car that continues today. The Camaro copycat began in 1967, has had its ups and downs over the years, while the Mustang has been a lot more consistent. Very disappointed to hear that 2024 will, in fact, be the final year for the Camaro in the current form, which, of course, with the gasoline engine ice, as we refer to that internal combustion engine. My thought is they probably will bring that name back uh, in some type of an EV. It probably will not be a sports car like it is right now. And, you know, it kind of is what it is. It is a changing, evolving world. I've kind of come to terms with that. Got to give a lot of credit to Ford and the Mustang. You're going to be driving the new S650 platform. Congratulations. Be curious to hear your thoughts on that. I'm a, I own a 14 Mustang with the Coyote 5 liter and a six-speed manual transmission. Bought it new and love it. Uh, and glad to see that they're keeping it old school all the way. I think it's a smart move on Ford's part where they're not putting all their eggs in the EV basket. You got your choice with Ford Motor Company. You can go electric or you can still continue to go gas, and they're making a six-speed manual available on that S650. As a Mustang enthusiast and obviously owning one for a long time and being enthusiastic about that, what's your take on uh, the Mustang Mach-E? Well, I've had a chance. uh, Like you, I get access to press vehicles occasionally. My podcast co-host, Matt Avery, and I, uh, had a chance to have one for a week, and I just have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed the driving dynamics of the car. Zippy, fun, uh, roomy. Love the way the car looks, and I think it's a great. Uh, I think it's a great option for those folks that want to go EV. Uh, using the Mustang nameplate, I'm I'm better with it now that I've gotten used to it than I was when I initially heard that news. Uh, and I understand it is a changing world, and I think the fact. Jack, that Ford is still offering a traditional Mustang for traditional enthusiasts helps take a little bit of the controversy, at least from my viewpoint, away from, uh, you know, an all EV future for Ford. They're not saying and they're not indicating that's what it's going to be. And very much like we talked about the Corvette, the vintage Mustang market dating all the way back to the original 1965, it continues to be white hot as well. It's just incredible. The interest for vintage cars it just continues to escalate each year. More and more folks are coming into the market and, you know, make them auctions. We're right in the driver's seat. We are taking advantage of it for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, important uh, auctions coming up. Uh, certainly Monterey is maybe the granddaddy of them all. Uh, just a, a gathering of the clan. So many auctions going on in, in uh, a short space of time there right. uh, in Monterey. Talk a bit about what you expect for for all that. You know, our Monterey auction is is a chance for us in mid-August as part of you know historic week. It's a major world event, as we know. Gives us a chance to kind of reach out and break out apart from the norm. We'll have 600 entries there. One of our smaller auctions, but we know in the smoke clears, we will have more We'll have a higher per car average than any other Mecham auctions. And it's the only auction where we will have more Ferraris than Camaros and more Porsches than Mustangs. That doesn't happen at regular Mecham auctions. So really looking forward to that event. Uh, like I said, gives us a chance to kind of dip into an area that's uh, out of sort of the tradition of Mecham auctions. But that having said, 
um, both vintage and contemporary exotics continue to be a big part of Mecham auctions uh, inventory at a lot of our auctions. It just the Monterey event attracts the best of the best, just like it has this year. What's going on with pre-World War II cars, John? I mean, those are cars that I have some affinity for. Maybe it's because yeah. I'm an old guy. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> you know, even before my time. But uh, I think maybe there's less interest in those. Uh, tell me about what you think's going there's on. A, there. There's a couple of segments that sort of stand out. There's a couple of segments that are a little bit, I would say, flat. Uh, the markets that do really well, surprisingly, would be anything in a pre-war Ford V8. So from 1932 Ford to debut of the Ford V8, of course, uh, all the way right to all the way right into the early 1940s. And that same thing, the heavy classics, the the uh, the of course, Duesenbergs are absolutely premium at the top. But the big the big Lincolns, the big Imperials, uh, the Cadillacs, whether they're a V8, whether they're a V12, the V16s are hotter than ever. There seems to be a real continued interest in those cars of the high end, but sort of sort of the ordinary run of the mill uh, 20s uh, and 30s cars have just been a little bit flat compared to the rest of the market. But it really all depends on the quality of the car. If it's a special car, uh, either in condition, originality or restoration quality, and it's got a particular look to it, they're still getting a surprising amount of attention. We're not seeing much activity on 1920s Nashes, however, though. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, my first car, and uh, maybe my last, because I, I still own it. You know, this <laughs> okay. many years later. Um, cool. But uh, talk, uh, talk to us about uh, Cords. Uh, pretty cool cars. Uh, very ahead of their time. Maybe not as well known these days as they were twenty years ago. What, what do you think? No, it's interesting that you picked that particular car. Certainly one of the most fascinating cars of the early 1930s. So much innovation, front-wheel drive, V8 power, um, no running boards. I mean, the cars really have a distinctive look. And what's happening that I've seen in that particular market as time has gone by is, is a new generation of buyer probably has not been familiar with that car for a long time. But if they get exposed to it, if they learn about it, if they see one at a show, they see one on a Mecham auction, it's another one of those vehicles that from a styling and a technology standpoint really has the potential to transcend generations. They are not an inexpensive car, despite that, uh, you know, not as many people know about them and, and, and lust after them as they did 20 years ago, the time period that, that you mentioned. But uh, very, very stable market. We'll also put the corporate, you know, cousins in there, the Auburn, of course, Duesenberg and that same thing, you know, completely different level. Same thing. I mean, the Auburns will, you know, will typically have cords and, Auburns and, of course, you know, the flagship Duesenbergs at our Monterey auction and a few other auctions as well. Uh, we don't see them in big quantity. They're not out there like, you know, they're just not there in big quantity. So they don't really stand out that much. But there's still a surprisingly um, enthusiastic group of enthusiasts that, that that want those cars for their collections. And, you know, we at Mecham Auctions, I mean, we'll have at a typical auction, we'll have $5,000 cars. And we'll have cars worth in excess of $1 million. We do not discriminate against any year, make, model types, price ranges. We'll put a vehicle. If somebody wants to consign it to Mecham, we will take it. John Kramer, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, I wish we could talk longer, but uh, I think we could talk for hours and hours. On yeah, this. Good. Thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Well, thank you, my friend. Always a pleasure. Look forward to talking to you again soon. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Christine Jackney Redback. We're doing the final segment. Boy, time flies when I'm talking to Chris about cars. And uh, 
I appreciate it. Uh, this is the time in which we answer questions from uh, people who uh, write in with their questions, and it's easy to reach us with the questions. Just send them to editor at drivingtoday.com, editor at drivingtoday.com, and we'll answer your question on an upcoming show. But I think we've got some pretty interesting questions this time around, Chris. I would love to hear your answers to them. Uh, let's take this one from Kenneth in Salt Lake City. He says this, is there a way to buy a car that won't lose you money? When I look at buying a new car and then look at expected depreciation, it seems like a bad investment. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think the the word here that sticks out to me is investment. Mm. Uh, you know, when you invest in something, you're typically expecting it to increase in value. And uh, I think the vast majority of vehicles, especially new ones, are lose value. You know, they say lose value as soon as you drive it off the dealer's lot. And that is true in the vast majority of cases. Now, we've seen recent collectors cars like the Toyota GR Corolla, uh, things like that that are selling for more than that. But I think almost every vehicle loses value. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> I don't know that there's a way around it, Jack. I, I don't know of much of a way around it. I think the way you're looking at it is, is right. In accounting terms, I mean, a car is an expense. It's not an investment. Uh, it's not a long-term asset that's going to gain in value the way something would. Maybe real estate would. Maybe your house does. I mean, people are used to their house appreciating in value, and then they, they buy a car, their second biggest uh, expenditure, and they, you know it drops like a stone. Uh, one, uh, there's a couple of ways to mitigate depreciation, though. One is don't buy a new car. Buy a car that's two, three, four years old. Uh, you know, somebody else will t take the biggest brunt of the depreciation. Or you can take the, the tack that maybe John Craman, our guest, would suggest, and that's buy a collector car. Those kind of cars uh, have the uh, potential to appreciate in value. Many of them do. Um, some can be used as day-to-day -day drivers, though, which is kind of interesting. And... Uh, You'll certainly have a car that's unlike pretty much anybody else's uh, on your block. Um, and you might be laughing all the way to the bank uh, <laughs> by buying a collector car as opposed to buying a, a brand new car that uh, will not gain in value. That's a good point. Yeah. Occasionally I make one, Chris. <laughs> not that often. Let's take this question from Thomas in Duluth, Minnesota. See if I can keep up my winning streak here. It's doubtful. This is not a. This is kind of a softball question in, in the terms of questions, though. Do you guys have a favorite car of all time? I know you review cars every week, but do any particularly stand out? Oh well, favorite cars that I've ever owned would probably be the 1995 Lexus SC300 that I own with a manual transmission. The favorite car of all time, Jack. For me, it's probably going to be the Porsche 911. I think that there are just so many variants so many different configurations and performance numbers uh and it's just timelessly styled I, I don't think that there's another car that i would uh rather own i think that's my you know sort of aspirational car so that's that's mine those are good answers very good answers and I, i'll kind of answer uh, this question the same way you did favorite car i've owned is the car i still own a 1962 corvette i just love that car i've loved it since uh before I owned it, I, you know, I, I was sitting in study hall in fifth grade and saw a picture of a, a Corvette and I thought, I need to get one of those when I can, you know, get a car license and do that. And, and darned if I didn't do that. So I love that. Maybe the favorite car that I have tested um, is the Ferrari Testarossa. Uh, I got a chance to do that at the Fiorano test track in a trip where I also met Enzo Ferrari. So, you know, that's hard to top. That's, <laughs> that was a pretty darn good trip. 
getting to do that, I also saw a fellow journalist uh, throw one of those cars away, which was, you know, almost a career ender for him. Um, that wasn't a particularly good good moment. And then maybe another car that I have road tested over time, uh, fairly unique, is the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. <laughs> I tested that. I road tested that for Motor Trend, uh, you know, sometime in the 80s. And uh, um, it was a story that actually uh, won some accolades, won some awards. So uh, those are the those are my favorites from my career. I got to ride in the L.L. Bean bootmobile one time. Uh, However, I didn't get to drive it. Yeah, cool stuff. Cool stuff. Well, let's take a more real-world question now. This is from Brenda in Waco, Texas. With school about to start. Yeah, school is about to start, I think, for a lot of, a lot of kids. We're looking to buy a minivan for carpool duty. Do you have any advice on that? Is one minivan better than the others? Well, you only have a few choices, and uh, to be honest, they're all pretty good. I think you know we talk about this uh, occasionally, and I actually am a minivan fan. Um, I think you know you're in Texas. Depending on the kind of driving you're doing, I'd probably go for the Toyota Sienna. Uh, you've got hybrid powertrain. Um, I don't know that you need all-wheel drive there. If, how much snow you're going to get in Waco, but uh, you have the option to get it with all-wheel drive if if you don't. And I think if you're looking for a little bit more upscale minivan, I'd go for the Kia Carnival. Uh, uh, it's just such a nice minivan on the inside. It's it's one of my favorites. Yeah. Well, I you know I endorse both those choices. I think they're really really good ones. In fact, in Texas, uh, not more than a month ago or so, the Nerad family was driving a Toyota Sienna minivan on vacation, and you know we were able to stuff the entire family in there and all their gear. So uh, we like that vehicle a lot. Pretty upscale interior in that as well. I think they have looked at what Kia is doing in the carnival and went, oh, maybe we've got to up our game here a little bit. There are other ones as well. Of course, uh, a longtime go-to has been the Honda Odyssey. Not as much as being said about that recently. I think it's probably due for a change here pretty soon, but uh, we'll see what happens with that. And of course, Chrysler has the Pacifica, which is available as a plug-in hybrid. So all the all the goodness of plug-in hybrids hybridness that you talked about with the Hyundai Santa Fe SUV is pretty much available with the uh, with the Chrysler Pacifica. So I think there's a lot of good choices. I mean that that's not really narrowing it down because I, <laughs> I kind of identified every minivan out there as as having good qualities. Uh, but um, I think there's plenty of good ones out there to choose from and. Uh, a minivan, uh, I agree with you, Chris, is an underrated vehicle type. I think uh, they do a really good job for a lot of families. Yeah, and the cool thing about the current crop of minivans, Jack, is you kind of have your pick of of clever family features. So, you know, Honda and Toyota have, uh, I think Honda calls it cabin talk, where uh, you have a microphone of the driver who can then talk to other people in the way back of the cabin, and it overrides Bluetooth headphones and everything. So if your kids are being, you know, naughty, you can get right in their ear with that and then... Uh, you know, some of them have uh, vacuum cleaners built in too. So, you know, these are really cool things that I just, you know, urge somebody if you're shopping for a minivan, check out the features because, you know, even if they look the same on the outside, some of them have neat little things inside that would kind of tilt it, tilt one in their in their in your favor over the other. Right. I mean, do things like fold down the seats, and, you know, see what kind of cargo space you have, where the cubbies are, those kind of things, uh, where your USBs are, you know, to make sure you're powering up all the devices and maybe all three rows. Uh, there's a lot of things to look at uh, in a minivan, but uh, a lot of features and talk about family friendly. They are terrific. Mm -hmm. And also talking about family friendly, I'm sure yourtestdriver.com is also family friendly and provides a lot of good advice to families buying vehicles. Tell us about it. 
It does. Uh, we've got this week, actually this month, I mentioned this on last week's show, we're giving away a Thinkware dash cam. I think it's going to be backwards on camera there. However, we're going to do a review on this and we're going to give it away. It's a 4K ultra high definition dash camera. So uh, I think there's a lot of use behind these things that people should really know about and understand what kind of value you get out of a uh, dash camera. And we've got some more reviews coming from Kristen Shaw. We have the Jeep Grand Cherokee uh, L that we just put up yesterday. So uh, exciting stuff, Jack. Yeah, very cool stuff. So check that out, yourtestdriver.com. While you're checking things out, you might want to check out my my newest book, Dance in the Dark. It is a crime thriller uh, inspired by true crime. I've also written the true crime book, Fatal Photographs, about a very famous bathing suit model murder case. But check that out. It's available on Amazon in both paperback and Kindle ebook form. And of course, if you like America on the Road, and we hope you do, you've come to the end of the show, so you've We've kept you going at least this far. Uh, please pass it along to others who might like it. Uh, that would help us out a lot. And let them know what radio station on which you listen to the show and when it airs. And to pass along a podcast. And it's very easy to obtain a podcast of America on the Road, isn't it? It sure is. If you head to the sportsmapradio.com website, uh, you can find our show on the Saturday morning schedule. You can find our podcast there on all the major platforms, as well as a formatted radio version of the show uh, right there. Right. And if you just go to your favorite podcast platform and type in America on the Road, you will probably find it in the search engine and be able to download and uh, subscribe and Give us a five-star review, all those wonderful things that we would appreciate very much. And we do appreciate very much the fact that you have joined us on America on the Road. So for Chris Teague, this is Jack Nee Red saying, please join us again next time for the next edition of America on the Road. Hi, this is Jack Nee Red, host of America on the Road. I'd like to tell you about my latest book, Dance in the Dark. It's a crime novel inspired by true crime. Many people have told me it is the perfect follow-up to Fatal Photographs, my true crime account of the notorious Hollywood bathing suit model murder case. In Dance in the Dark, Jason Griffiths is a rock and roll drummer turned computer programmer who fears for his life, but he doesn't know why. After living a quiet life for years, suddenly his girlfriend leaves him, he meets the most beautiful woman he has ever seen, and within days, he's wanted for the murder of a drug cartel enforcer, a murder he didn't commit. The cops think he did it, though, and so does the boss of the cartel. So he's stuck between the law and the mob with nowhere to turn. The only person who might be able to help him is the new woman in his life. But will his stunning new companion be an asset or an enemy? And can he escape the desperate situation he's trapped in? Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and as a Kindle ebook at Amazon and at E.M. Lancey Publishers. Right now, it's at a special low price that will save you five bucks. That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arney Red. Thanks for checking it out. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.